You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Well, good morning, everyone. That was fantastic. It's great uh, to be here with you all together. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So you can open there. We are going to stay there the whole time. I'm going to read a few other verses for you, but we are going to walk through um, this passage verse by verse. Um, There's some awesome things in this passage. God's really been convicting me this week of some of the stuff um, going on in this passage. And so I'm looking forward to sharing what God's laid on my heart with all of you. So let's pray and then we'll get started. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to worship you through song. Lord, thank you for the musicians and the AV people giving their time and their talents. Lord, to have the blessing of being able to sing together. Um, I just love singing because it's just this little tiny glimpse of heaven and what it's going to be like to sing with all the saints before the throne. God, I can't wait for that. And Lord, today as we open your word, God, I just pray that you would simultaneously encourage us and also challenge us. God, that you would Um, Show us, God, where you want to grow us um, and also encourage us, Lord. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So we are going to be, so let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then uh, we'll, we'll take off here. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. What a fantastic passage. We're looking forward to diving into that. Um, First, some review. Let's do some review. Chapter 4 is a good place in Ephesians to do some review. Basically, in chapters 1 through 3, we learned some amazing truths about who God is. And we learned about and we saw the the gloriousness of the gospel um, displayed. And then in chapter 3, we see um, the great mystery that God showed to Paul about um, his plan for his people, right? And that plan is that the Gentiles, a.k.a. you and me, would be invited into the family of God on equal ground with his people, the Jews, through the gospel. And Ephesians 3.10 tells us that it was um, God planned this so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What a fantastic thing. And now in chapters 4 through 6, we're going to learn very practically about how the glory of God is to be displayed in the church. Okay, so don't miss the setup of this book, right? So the motivation and ability to live out these incredibly hard things that he's going to call us to in 4 through 6 are all um, sort of stemming from who God is. And then it's going to come from the gospel, right? And it's the opportunity, it's the drive 
to do those sort of things. It's, it's all born out of the gospel, which was born out of the goodness of God. And now for all of us practical people, he's going to tell us how the glory of God is to be revealed in the church. And so that's going to be what we work through through the end of the book. And the first category that he does this that we're going to talk about today is unity. And so I want to start with some encouragement for you. Uh, Maddie, my wife, um, her love language is um, words of affirmation. And uh, because in her own words, I love people telling me that I'm great. And um, I think it's a funny way of putting it, uh, but it's true. And I like it. So um, I'm going to start today by telling you, church, that you are great. And I know as um, pastors that we push you a lot, right, to grow more into the image of Christ. And because we aren't there yet, I know there's so much more in myself. I'm so far I'm never going to be there on this side of eternity. And that's part of our job, right? And you're actually going to look at that next week as pastors that you can't blame us because it's in the job description. Pastor Ben gets that passage next week. Um, But I think it's also good for us to acknowledge that as a church, we have blessing of unity in a lot of places. And we have tremendous blessing among of unity among the elders and the deacons, both individually as boards and also collectively together. And it is truly truly a blessing. It, it's sad, but not every church has that blessing. And so I, I thank God constantly for the unity that we have among the elders and the deacons um, at this church, and it is a huge blessing. Uh, we also get this blessing in the staff. It's a tremendous environment that we get to work, as, work in as staff, and again, we thank God a lot for the unity that we have as staff. And one of the things that I love about staff, meaning Uh, when we get together, is that we don't always agree, but we're all pushing towards the same goal, right? And so there's lots of room, actually, in lots of different places where we'll disagree, and there's lots of times that the staff can attest to it. I give an idea, and it's like, you know what? It's not that good. Um, But they're kind and gracious, and they, they will pull us, and sometimes out of the bad idea comes a good idea, but there's a, there's a feeling to say, hey, look, what about this? Or what about this instead? Um, and there's no hard feelings because the goal is the same. And so we work tremendously well together, and that is a tremendous blessing. And then lastly, I told you to tell you you're great. You are great. Um, the body is a real blessing here at Calvary. I think of instances like um, leaving the CBOQ, right? That was a big one for our church. That was a difficult thing to do with all the history that we've had, right, in the CBOQ. Right, all the history that we had in the denomination, and yet we all had a conviction to stand firmly on the word of God as they sort of started to veer off track. All of you um, voted unanimously at that meeting, something that can be very divisive in a lot of churches, and there was absolute unity among our body of believers, and that was, that was fantastic. Um, I also think about Trunk or Treat. Um, Trunk or Treat was awesome, right? We all come together at Trunk or Treat. We got different views on COVID, different political views, different points in our spiritual journey, different points in our spiritual maturity, different areas and passions and joys and everything like that. And yet we were all there together for the sake of our community and the gospel. And if you were a part of Trunk or Treat, the unity that you can feel at Trunk or Treat is actually incredibly tangible. And it's very, very cool to be able to experience as we serve our community together. So just fantastic fantastic examples. And so I think in this church, some of the greatest tangible examples of unity um, in my lifetime I've experienced here at Calvary. And I just want to say thank you for that. It is a blessing and a privilege um, to do that. 
Um, but just like my wife, who is supremely great, um, she's not off the hook um, for growing more in her knowledge of God, and we aren't either, right? And so unity is an area that I would say we are blessed with and do in generally do well in. And yet as I studied this week, I personally felt a real sense of conviction that I have such a long way to go when it comes to doing unity as God designed. And so I just want to jump into that and share um, with you just some of the things that um, God was really teaching me and was convicting me of, and I hope that they're a blessing and, and a challenge to you as well. So what is Christian unity? Well, there's too many things to talk about everything, right, when we're thinking about Christian unity, because this sentence has produced hundreds of books. It's produced seminary classes. We can't, we can't get through everything here. But I'll just give you a couple things, a couple things to chew on. Um, I think the f- place to start, actually, is to remembering that not all unity is good, right? Many people have been unified to do very bad things, right? And so unity is not the goal. Unity with the proper goal is the goal, right? Does that make sense, right? And so that's why this um, sermon, I didn't, originally I had it as unity, and it's like, God, that's not right, right? Because unity is not in itself the goal, but Christian unity is the goal, right? Christian unity is centered around God. If you look back in Ephesians chapter 3, you'll see um, sort of the setup to this. Again, this, this book sets itself up very nicely. So what Jesus did for us on the cross, like in Ephesians 3, 6, who God is, Ephesians 3, 8, right? That's what Christian unity is centered around, right? And so you notice how he set that a lot because then he prays for it. And then he talks, he talks about it, he prays for it, and then we're going to talk about it again, right? You see how he set that up. And then, it, so it's centered around a love of God, and as an extension of that, then it's a, it's a, a love of the things that God loves, right? So that's, that's our goal in Christianity. Our goal in Christianity is it's centered around God, and then the extension of that is to love the things that God loves. And so we could take hours, right, talking about this, but I want to remind you of one more thing. Unity is not always agreeing right? Unity is loving to be together with authentic Christians to love and follow Christ more than loving being right. And the Bible puts up guards on unity, right? We don't pursue unity at all costs, right? Sometimes that's another mistake that Christians will make. There's specific instances in the Bible, right? The Bible says we are not to pursue unity with professing Christians living in unrepentant and persistent sin, right? We are not to pursue unity with those who teach false things about God. We are not to pursue unity with those who cause disunity and divisions, right? The Bible is some of the quickest with those people. It's like, give them one chance, two chances, they're gone, right? God takes this very seriously. And the reason I bring this up, right, because I've experienced it in the church. I've done it in the church. I see it in the church, right? Two people disagree about something. So they will just sort of quietly go their separate ways, agreeing to remain friends, right, but feeling a little bit awkward about their disagreement that they never really dealt with. So they just sort of slowly drift apart, and they never deal with the disagreement. And they don't choose to love each other and to stay connected, right? And so they both just start by giving this person a little bit of space, and it's in the name of unity, right? But the reality is that that is not unity, Right? Just, giving, just drifting apart and agreeing not to fight isn't unity. Right? That's not unity at all. And I've done this. It doesn't work. Right? It's not unity. It just creates a whole bunch of fake Christians who fake love each other. 
who fake caring about each other, which creates a fake church with fake unity, right? Like that's, that's really what it does. And so there's the next one that I put up here is God takes unity extremely seriously to you. Um, the verses that I'm going to put up are very, were very convicting to me, and I hope you will see how seriously God takes unity. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Check out this list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Do you feel the weight of this verse? God just put in the same list as murder, sowing discord. And that doesn't just mean like actually like, like I hate this person. We need to remove them from this and this, right? That sowing discord can happen lots of different ways, right? It can happen with your own pride, right? With saying, you know what? I'm not apologizing to that person. I'm not seeking unity with that person, right? There's lots of different ways to sow discord. And this is just very convicting to me as you see this. Check out this next verse. Just in case you think I took that one too far. Here's a crazier one. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. What this one says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We know the end of this verse. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Isn't that list um, shocking? I read it the first time in this context. It is... um, yeah, just crazy. Look at, the, look at the list of things that we would think are really bad, right? What, is, what stands out to you on that list? Sexual immorality, horrible, right? We never want to be involved with that. Sorcery, like what is this, Harry Potter? Like, like we don't want to be involved with sorcery, right? Orgies, gross, right? Drunkenness, we never want to get caught doing that. But then look, what does it say? Enmity, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, right? That's crazy, crazy stuff. And look at what he links it to. He says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that if you don't understand these things, that means that you don't understand the gospel. And so we're going to look a little bit at this, and I'm going to show you how this all sort of fits together. But that is, it's a very um, sobering sobering passage. And when, when I read this, I was very convicted that my view of unity is not as strong as God's view of unity. If you would ask me, we could go, hey, Mark, do you want unity? Of course I would have said yes. Hey, do you love unity? Yeah, of course I would have said yes, right? We all like unity. But my passion for unity is so much lower than God's passion for unity, right? God calls us to be zealous towards unity, to fight for unity, to guard unity, and I was just convicted this week that, man, I'm, for all the things that I've experienced in this church, 
I'm just not there yet, right? And I hope maybe you feel the same way that, yeah, God has been good, and yet there's so much more that he has for us. Let's get into our text, Ephesians chapter um, 4, verse 1. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Man, we got a lot of weighty verses. Can you consider the weight of this verse too, right? To live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, right? The calling in what sense? The calling of the gospel, right? To live a life worthy of the creator and sustainer of the universe who died one of the worst deaths known to mankind because he loved you while you hated him, right? Like that kind of weight or the weight of the calling that we know that our calling is to give glory to God, right? Which seems equally impossible, right? As the one who created galaxies with a single breath, and knows every star by name and knits little babies together in their mother's womb with such complexity, right? It's so much greater than anything that we could understand with all of our science and technological advancements, which we've been working on for thousands of years, right? Or what about the oceans, right? Where we've only explored a small percentage of the oceans. Again, with all of our tech, working on it for thousands of years. In all these things, right? The stars, the rocks, all of creation was made in a single breath. What, for what purpose? To bring glory to God. And yet we are called to do the same. And we're called through unity. And as I consider creation, sometimes I admit that sometimes I feel like the Grand Canyon or the Milky Way galaxy can do a better job of bringing God glory right, than I can. And um, yet we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We cannot do this on our own. Look at verse 2. With all humility gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love each one of these things that we're going to look at here we're going to look at each word and we're going to look at how it links to unity how it connects to who god is and the opposite as an enemy of unity okay does that make sense so the first word we're going to look at is humility so how does it link to unity here's how humility links to unity it is very hard to cause disunity when you consider others greater than yourself Right? It's hard to cause disunity when you are willing to apologize and reconcile, even if you are only 5 or 10% of the problem. Right? Very rarely is it 100% somebody else's problem. So if you have one iota of that problem, and you're willing to apologize and reconcile in humility, the majority of the time that diffuses that situation. Right? It's hard to cause disunity when you are willing to give up what you want for the greater good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you have everybody in view, it's a lot harder to cause disunity. It's harder to cause disunity when you are more aware of the places where God wants to work in your life compared to where you believe God should work in other people's lives. Right? And that sort of mindset comes from humility. How does it connect to who God is? Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Famous passage. If then, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. 
if you notice verse 2 in that passage, it says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Right? That's unity. Right? That's unity as God designed it, as God would have it in our lives. And then we find out how unity is accomplished. Right? We see the ultimate example of um, unity through humility. Right? That um, Christ, right, as he demonstrated that for us on the cross, as he, um, he set aside his deity right, to come to earth right, for the purpose of unity between God and man through the vehicle of humility. And what's the opposite of humility? Right, it's pride. It's pride. And this is something that we all struggle with. Right? And so we are always in danger of losing our unity to giving in, when we give in to our pride. Right? Pride causes our focus to come off of Christ and onto ourselves. And pride's an enemy of unity. Right? You, you know what I'm going to tell you next. Right? That if you're sitting there thinking, I don't struggle with pride, you just prove my point of how easily it creeps into our lives. Right? And you knew that I was going to say that, and yet that thought still crept into your head for some of you. Right? And you're like, oh, I already know what the pastor is going to tell me, and it still happens. Right? That's how easily pride creeps into our lives. Next, let's look at gentleness. A more literal translation of this word is actually meekness. And so the Bible describes meekness, or it uses meekness in two main ways. It describes our attitude towards God's word, and it just also describes our attitude towards others. And so in this case, it's describing our attitude towards others. C.L. Mitten says, um, meekness is the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected from it by slights, by injuries, insults directed at him personally, or indeed by personal considerations of any kind. How does it relate to God? Second Corinthians 10 verse 1, Paul says this, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right? He describes Christ himself as meek, and we can see that, right? And again, what's the greatest example of that? The greatest example was the cross, that Jesus went to the cross for us. Think about this quote again in the context Meekness is the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected from it by slights, injuries, or insults directed at himself personally or indeed by personal considerations of any kind. The ultimate example of that is the cross. Right? It's Jesus on the cross. And the opposite, as an enemy of unity, right? it's arrogance, it's brashness. Right? They have no place in our life. The third word is patience, how it links to unity. Francis Fulkes puts it like this. He says, a slowness in avenging wrong or retaliating when hurt by another. I thought that was really good. Because where is much of disunity caused? Right? It's in avenging wrong or perceived wrong or retaliation, right, to hurt by others. And how does it connect to God? God describes... God's described over and over again in dealing with humanity in this way, right? 1 Timothy 1.16 says, But I have received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those 
who would believe in him for eternal life. And the opposite of patience, of course, is impatience, right? And so if you're struggle, someone that struggles with impatience, then you will be able to attest to the fact that, well, sometimes it helps you get things done faster. Um, it might have also gotten you in trouble, right? Because impatience causes us to speak without thinking, right, in the heat of the moment, to act before we have all the facts. It causes us to act out of our emotions, and Christ calls us to act in spite of our emotions, right, in the way that he's called us to. And the last one, bearing with one another in love. Let's start with the bearing one another part. It's called forbearance. Um, that's a weird word. So you, you say, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Uh, when I read these definitions, you're going to know exactly how it relates to unity. So I want to read you two. Abbott describes forbearance as saying, it involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love one's neighbors or friends because of those faults in them which perhaps offend or displease us. Right? And I think this is a really friendly way of saying that people at church are going to sometimes drive you crazy. Right? So unity doesn't just happen. Right? We have to make a choice to love them. You have to make a choice for unity for the sake of Christ in spite of their flaws. Right? Because you actually have the humility to recognize that your flaws are worse than their flaws. And how do you know that your flaws are worse than their flaws? Because you know yourself better than you know them. And so if you are constantly examining yourself, as the Bible calls us to, you are more aware of your own flaws. And you're not as aware, you're not as heightened of the flaws of other people. And it helps to balance everything out. John Stott adds to this by saying it's a mutual tolerance. Um, without no group of human beings can live together in peace. And what's being described can only be possible in love. Right? Paul prayed in chapter 3 that they would be rooted and grounded in what? In love. Right? Because they desperately needed it. We desperately need it. And this isn't easy to do. Right? It's really easy to talk about. Right? It's a lot harder to do. And so how does it connect to who God is? Right? This one we know it's very obvious that God is love. Right? And he demonstrated that. Again, in the first way, on the cross. And I hope you've noticed a theme as we've gone through this right? God doesn't call us to do the things he isn't. Did you notice that with each one? He is literally all of the things he's calling us to. So it's either his character himself, like God is love, or it's something that, uh, it's a characteristic that flows out of one of his attributes, that God is humility, right? God is gentleness. He's patience, right? He's, he's the ulti, he either is it or he's the ultimate example of it. Does that make sense? And so he doesn't call us to do things that he isn't, or he's not the perfect example of, right? So in Christ, we have the perfect example of everything that he's calling us to do, right? He's calling us to sanctification. He's saying, and this is how to accomplish this. I already know this because I am it. And what's the opposite enemy of unity in this one? For love, it's hate, right? Because it causes division. It causes disunity. And again, have you noticed the trend? Of all the things that God, all, all of these things that God has called us to, what's the common thing? They, they ask us to take our eyes off of ourself and to put our eyes on Christ, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, all of those ask us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on Christ, 
Do you know what the, what the opposite one of all of these is? Right? It takes the focus off of God and it's back on ourselves. And here's the scary thing. Here's the scary thing. I know how easy it is for me to take my eyes off of Christ and to put them on myself. And I hope you can, I hope you can attest to that, but I have a feeling you can, right? And so that's why we can't just store up unity. That's why there's, there's years and years and years of unity stored up and then boom, in an instant, it's gone. Why? Because you can't store up unity. You have to continually guard it. You have to continually fight for it, right? Because in an instant, we can take our focus off of God and onto ourselves. And so we have to continually fight for it because unity is literally hanging in the balance 